0: Well, the title of my message this morning is For Christ, Our Passover Lamb. For Christ, Our Passover Lamb. Now, I'm hoping that for many of us here, what I'm going to share today isn't going to be the greatest revelation in the world. It may just be a great reminder. But I think for some of us, it might be just that, some revelation, greater understanding. Have you ever read a scripture? And when you finish reading the scripture, whether it's a long scripture or a short scripture, you finish and you go, what in the world is that all about? It makes no sense to me. And there are scriptures like that, that it requires the Lord to give us some revelation, but it also really requires us to study the rest of the word because the word of God will really give revelation to other parts of the word of God and give us greater and better understanding as we look into the word. There's a scripture that I'm going to be using today. I'll probably go back to it two, three, four times, but it's in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Now, to my mind, when I looked at that, I tried to imagine, what if I've never read this verse before? And as I read it, I'm thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Now, the NIV is usually relatively easy to understand. So the NIV says, get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, to help you better understand it, I'll go to the New American translation, my particular Bible, and it says this, Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, Just as you are, in fact, unleavened for Christ is our Passover and has been sacrificed. Well, I don't mind being called a new lump, beats an old lump, and leaven and yeast and get rid of the old yeast and have new yeast and Christ's the Passover or the Passover lamb and and by the time I get through with all that, I have perfect understanding or I'm just still totally confused. The reality is the significance of this scripture is absolutely profound. This scripture is unbelievably relevant to the life of a Christian, to the life of a believer. So understanding it should be really, really important, and it is really important. So what I'm going to do today is try to to remind those of us that might be familiar with it and, and try to open it up to those of us that might not be as familiar with it And to do this, I need to go back to the Old Testament. Imagine that. You know, when there's a new believer, I usually tell him, just don't worry about the Old Testament for now. Just get into the Gospel of John and maybe Colossians and and those things. But sometimes when I say that, I hope what you're never hearing me say is the Old Testament's not important. Because the Old Testament is important. It's relevant. And it's interesting, as you begin to put things together in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you begin to realize that everything in the Old Testament whether we get it or not, that particular place we're reading points to Jesus. It all points to Christ. And what we're going to look at in the Old Testament today is really a shadow, a foreshadowing, or a type of Christ. But I need to give you a little bit of background. Hopefully you're familiar with the story of Joseph, the youngest of 12 boys who had the multicolored coat. If you went to Sunday school, you probably heard about Joseph in the multicolored coat. Well, Joseph, because he had some brothers that he irritated a lot, they sold him into slavery. And to make a long story short, he ended up in Egypt. And because of God's providence, he ended up being basically the second in command of all of Egypt. Egypt at this time was the most powerful empire and Pharaoh was the most powerful man on earth. Matter of fact, They considered him a god. And this is where Joseph ended up, because of a series of circumstances that most of us wouldn't want to go through and some that we might enjoy, he ended up the second most important person in all of Egypt. And then a famine hit the land where Joseph's brothers, his father, and most of what we would call Israel uh, lived. And it was a severe famine. Because God had placed Joseph in this amazing position of power and authority in the land of Egypt, even though he was not Egyptian, even though he was what we would call today Jewish, he was the second most powerful person. And through a long series of circumstances that I'm not going to go through, but I'd encourage you to read the story. It's in about the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. It talks about Joseph and his experiences of being uh, thrown into a well and then sold to traders and then you know, eventually thrown in, in prison. He got accused of trying to uh, take advantage sexually of a, a very important man's wife. And then he had some dreams and then he interpreted some dreams and amazing things happened to him to get to this position of authority. Read the story, it's great. But during this famine, his family ended up coming to Egypt. And for a number of years in Egypt, because of the favor that Joseph had, the people of Egypt prospered. They, it says they went to the land of Goshen, which would have been the best land in, in Egypt. And it says they, they prospered and they multiplied like crazy. But then eventually Joseph dies. And the favor of Pharaoh kind of died with him. And before long... Israel, the Jewish people, become absolute slaves to the Egyptians. And they were in Egypt for about 430 years. And most of that time was in slavery and bondage, building things for the Egyptian pharaoh. And then the people finally got to this place where they were crying out to God, and God heard them. And God heard them, and most of us, I think, are familiar with the story then, of Moses. Little Moses had been put in a basket, ended up in Pharaoh's house, raised his royalty in Pharaoh's palaces, and then he got himself in some trouble by killing an Egyptian. Went out of the wilderness for 40 years. And then God raised him up to be the deliverer of his people from Egypt. So that's kind of a quick synopsis of some background. So at this time, God's people... Israel, are slaves and in bondage. And they're, they're being abused, physically abused. And, and here comes Moses. God has called him to be the deliverer of his people. And he goes to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh to let your people, let these people go. Just, and his first request is just this, let us just go into the wilderness so we can worship our God. We need to get away from all the pagan gods of Egypt. We need to get away from all the pagan Egyptians. Just let us go into the wilderness to worship our God. And, of course, he said no. His heart was hardened. They didn't want to lose their labor, their slave labor. So he said no. And then we get to a part of the story that many of you are familiar with. Moses, acting as God's man, comes to Pharaoh with ten plagues prove that their God is the God above all gods. The Egyptians had gods for everything. And it's interesting, if you study the plagues, most of the plagues directly refuted one of their many, many gods. But he came with these plagues, and there were ten of them. The first one, and if you've watched some of the TV programs or the movies, you, you, you'll recognize most of these, turning the water into blood. And the fish all died, and putrid smell. But that didn't work. Then it was the plague of frogs. The frogs were just going to come crawling out of the Nile River and they were going to cover the land. It says they're going to be in your houses. They're going to even be on your stoves. They're going to be everywhere. Well, that didn't work. And they died too and piled them up and they stunk a lot. Then it was the lice. Then it was the flies. Then the livestock all got diseases. Then the people were all covered with boils. Then there was the hail from heaven, fiery hail from heaven that fell on the land. Locusts covered the land and ate everything in sight. And still Pharaoh, his heart was hardened. Then it said darkness. The, The ninth plague was darkness. And the scripture says it was darkness so dark you could feel the darkness. And still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And then that brought us to the tenth plague. And the tenth plague, when Moses went to Pharaoh, the tenth plague was the fact that the oldest child, the firstborn of all of Egypt, was going to die. Didn't matter if you were rich or poor, didn't matter if you were Pharaoh's son or the son of somebody who was in prison, didn't matter. And of all the animals, the firstborn was going to die. This was the final plague put upon Egypt if they didn't let God's people go. And that kind of brings me to where I want to start today. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 29, it says this, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. I want to back up a few verses to verse 1 of chapter 12 of Exodus. And I'm going to read the first 13, 14 verses and just kind of work our way through it. And if I would, I want to remind you of the title of the message is For Christ, Our Passover Lamb. You know, we're entering in to what the church calls the, the Easter season, the Lenten season. We've been in it for a few weeks already. Easter's about... Four or five weeks away. And the Passover lamb has such relevance to the Easter message, the Easter story. In Exodus chapter 12, starting at verse 1, it says this The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, speaking to Moses and his brother Aaron, and he said, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. What was about to take place was so significant, God is telling Moses, you know the old calendar? I'm changing it. We're going to have a new calendar. This is going to be the calendar you're going to follow for all of the sacrificial offerings, all of the feast days. We're going to have a new calendar. The first month of that, uh, that new calendar is Abib, or later on it was called Nisan. It's about this time of year, actually, very end of March, into April. And he says, This is going to be the first month of this new year. God's going to do something very significant. And then he says in verse 3, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with one, share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are you determine the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Very practical. On the 10th day of this new month, I want you to get a lamb. And I want you to decide, can we all eat it in our own family or do we need to invite the neighbors over? Jewish history or tradition says it was usually at least 10 people to consume this whole lamb. So he says on the 10th day of the month, Go pick out this lamb. And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says, The animal that you choose must be a year-old male without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats and take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So you're going to pick out this one-year-old lamb, either of a sheep or a goat, and then you're going to keep it for four days before we're going to kill this lamb for this Passover meal. And then he goes on and says, And when all the people of the community of Israel then must slaughter them at twilight. Why four days? Well, four days of preparation, but also four days of inspection. This lamb was to be a perfect lamb, spotless, without blemish, a perfect lamb. And then on that 14th day, they were to slaughter that lamb and prepare it for the meal. And they give very specific instructions about slaughtering this lamb. It goes on and says, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they will eat the lamb. So the blood is not to be eaten. The blood is to be collected when they slaughter the lamb, put it on the, the doorpost, over the door and down the sides of the door with very specific instructions. And then he says in verse 8 that some, that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast or leaven. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, the head, the legs, and the inner parts. So they would have slaughtered the animal, collected the blood, put it on the doorposts and the door above the door, and then they were to tie it in a specific way, tie the feet together. They would have taken the innards out, cleaned and washed them, and put the innards back in the animal, and then they were to cook it being very, very careful not to bake any bones in the process. And then they were to eat this lamb. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left over until morning, you must burn it, which would be a typical animal sacrifice for the Jewish people to burn the offering. And then he says, this is how you're supposed to eat it. So he tells them how to pick the lamb, without spot or blemish, inspect it four days to make sure it's perfect. He tells him what to do when he slaughters it, tells him how to cook it, and now he's telling him how to eat it. And it gets a little weird. He says, this is how you're supposed to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So... The people at those days wore a long gown. So they would take the long gown and they were to take it and they were to tuck it into their their belt so that they would be able to walk, that they would be able to run, be able to go quickly. It says with your feet already having your shoes on, your sandals on, you're ready to go. And with your staff, your traveling staff in your hand. So his instructions to the people was, this isn't the normal meal where you might lay prostrate at your table and eat together fellowship together it's almost as if you're waiting for the bell to ring and leave suddenly and this is how you're to eat because whatever was going to happen was going to happen suddenly and it was going to change everything so this was these were the instructions and he said to do all of these things and then he kind of concludes that section with those words, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt. He passed through Egypt. The words through, passing through Egypt. Passing through Egypt is a picture of judgment. I'm going through Egypt. I'm not passing over Egypt. I'm going through Egypt. And then he says, I'm going to go through Egypt and I'm going to strike down every firstborn, both man and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood, the blood, however, the blood that you took from the sacrifice, the blood that you put on your door sill, the door frame, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are at. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you. He went through Egypt with judgment. He passed over Israel in mercy. In his mercy. He passed over them. He says, No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And in verse 14 it says, And this day shall be unto you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast throughout your generation, and you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So for the Jewish people, this became a very sacred holiday, a very sacred festival day. Passover. And then it also was called the the um, week of, help me out here, Unleavened Bread. Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the feast lasted a week. Passover 1st, The unleavened bread. So to understand the leaven or the yeast, we need to realize it's a type. A type of sin. So if you read those scriptures and you think of it as sin instead of yeast or leaven. And it's interesting because if you read some of the historical things about this, the yeast with Egypt... the the palm trees of Egypt there would be a yeast actually on the leaves of the trees and it would be a yeast that would fall to the ground and it would get on their feet and they would drag it into their house it wasn't just the yeast that we think of it they would put in with their dough to make bread this yeast when it said go through your house and get rid of all the yeast it was really asking them to do something that was almost impossible to do you couldn't get rid of the yeast but that was their command, and it was pictured in a way that they could understand and could be accomplished when you make the bread, make it without yeast. Why make it without yeast? One, be ready to go in a hurry, and it takes time for the yeast to leaven the bread. I believe also it's a picture for us too of how impossible it is in our own strength to get rid of the yeast, to get rid of the sin. It's impossible. More impossible than it would have been for the Israelite to get the yeast out of their house. So we see this coming together as a holiday, a feast day, Sabbath days uh, for for the nation of, of Israel. And then we go to the New Testament, and I'm going to be using a lot of scriptures here. So I put them all. I should have them all on the screen, I believe. You may just want to jot them down. But the new estab- the New Testament establishes for us. I believe really, really clearly the relationship between this prototype Passover lamb that we see in Egypt and the real deal, Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5-7 that I read to you. "Now Now when I read it, with what we've just covered, think about what it says. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new Batch without yeast. How do we get rid of the yeast? How do we get rid of the sin? There's only one way. Through Christ, the Passover Lamb. It says, get rid of that, that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your sin has been dealt with. He says Don't look back at all that old yeast. Get rid of that old yeast. Look at the new yeast as you really are. This new person, this new creation, a new batch, I should say, without yeast. When God looks at you and me, he does not see your sin. He's cleaned the house. When we accept Christ, it's clean. Sin is forgiven. It's been dealt with. He won't pass through with judgment. He passes over with mercy because of Christ. And it goes on and says at the end of that verse, For Christ, our Passover Lamb. Everything in Egypt on that day that they got out of Egypt was a picture for the New Testament Christ, Jesus. The Passover Lamb, Jesus, our Passover Lamb. John the Baptist recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God in John one twenty nine, He said the next day, John, sitting with his disciples, the day after he's... Baptized Jesus, he says, sees Jesus coming toward him and said, look. He didn't say, look, there's that guy baptized. He says, look, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the yeast, the sin of the world. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.19, that you were not redeemed with perishable things, and then it says, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He connects that lamb that was chosen by Israel on the day of Passover, a day of freedom from Egypt, to Jesus, a lamb without spot, without blemish, blemish a sinless, spotless lamb. And he is called this, and it's, It's made really real to us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin, without blemish, without spot. Jesus, the perfect, spotless, pure, without blemish, Passover lamb. Jesus is coming back one day, and he's going to judge the world. But when he comes back, he is going to pass over all of his because of the mercy that was exhibited to us through Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, who paid the price. And it doesn't stop there in the New Testament. In Revelation, John writes in Revelation 5, verse 6, he says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Jesus, the lamb of God, Peter sees this, in a, John sees this in a vision of heaven, the lamb that has been slain. And the Apostle Mark tells us that Jesus was crucified during the time of the Passover. And if we really want to spend time studying all this, the thing, it's so amazing. You know, they were supposed to kill a, la- kill a lamb, as we read it, depending on your translation, somewhere around dusk. Well, what that really was was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon after the afternoon prayer time was over. They would then kill the lamb at about 3 o'clock, which they would call twilight or dusk, and then it would be ready to be eaten later as darkness was coming. What time of day was Jesus crucified on a cross? The Passover lamb, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. God is so amazing. When he gives us a type or a shadow and when Jesus fulfills it, he fulfills it perfectly. Perfectly. His blood was shed for us. Mark 14, 12 says, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? That night when they were gathered together in the upper room, they were preparing the Passover meal. The night before Jesus, the night that Jesus ends up being arrested, Passover. It can be a little confusing, but you've got to remember that the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted a full week. It was started out on the day of Passover. Mark clearly shows us that this is the time that Jesus was arrested. So the connection between the type or the shadow of the Passover lamb in the Old Testament has now been revealed to us as Christ, the real deal, in the New Testament. He is our Passover lamb, the lamb of God. And it tells us in the scripture that the Bible, the Bible makes clear to us that we as believers, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are some, symbolically, the blood of Jesus is applied to each one of us. Just as the blood was applied to the doors as a sign that, Jesus, that God would pass over, not judge. As new believers, the blood of Christ symbolically covers us with his sacrificial blood. As he pours it on our hearts. So we escape death and judgment. Hebrews 9, verses 12 through 14. He, referring to Jesus, it says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God to cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. The blood that is symbolically applied to us, like the blood that was literally applied to the doorposts, saves us from the judgment and death and leads us into eternal life. Jesus, our Passover lamb. Scripture that you'll hear often, Romans 6.23, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin, the penalty for sin, is death. But when the blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, is symbolically applied to our hearts when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the judgment is removed, the sin is forgiven, and we now have the promise of eternal life, with Christ. The first Passover lamb marked Israel's escape from slavery of Egypt. Jesus, as our Passover lamb, marks for us our escape from the slavery and bondage to sin and death. Until that blood is applied to us, we're lost. We are condemned to death. Eternal separation from God the Father. But the moment we accept Jesus as the Passover lamb who died sacrificially on our behalf, we are symbolically washed with the blood of Jesus. Judgment has been already paid for through Christ. And we are deemed worthy to have eternal life with God the Father. Romans 8 2 says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And then it said, if you remember when I read back in Exodus, that this was to be a remembrance for the Jewish people forever. Forever. And the Jewish people still today, celebrate the Passover. They've changed a few things over the centuries, but they still celebrate the Passover as a very sacred day. What about the rest of us? God said it was to be commemorated forever. Are we making a mistake in not celebrating the Passover? Or are we doing something else in the obedience to what God told us to do? Instead, this should hopefully also remind us of the significance of what we sometimes take lightly when we receive communion. Communion. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, when Jesus is with his disciples and they're receiving that, eating that last meal, He says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We still commemorate our Passover lamb's death through communion. Communion is a very significant thing. It's not law, it's an ordinance. That we are to carry on until he comes back. Just as they were commanded to carry on the Passover which God intended for them to carry on until Jesus came, till the real Passover lamb came. When they missed the real deal, they are still sacrificing the shadow. It's such a sad thing. Many, many Jewish people are becoming Messianic Jews. They've accepted Christ. But there's so many more that are still living under the law. So hope, you'll see, as I went through this, and it may not be the most exciting message you've ever heard, but it should be so powerful. What we see in the Old Testament helps us to understand what Jesus is, what he has done, what took place. The Old Testament Passover, though it was very real for them, was nothing but a shadow, a foreshadowing of a much better thing to come. And that much better thing, of course, is our Passover lamb, Jesus. It's through his perfect sinless life and sacrificial death that we are able to pass from death to life. Am I almost done? For those on tape, that was my grandchild. Should we finish soon? No? (laughs) We will anyway. (laughs) I think that was prophetic. He was reading your minds. (laughs) We're going to close by going to the verse I started with 1 Corinthians 5 7. Get rid of the old yeast. You may be be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. The as you really are is the important part for us. As you really are. The moment you accept Jesus Christ, you're a new batch. The yeast is gone. Sin is gone. It's dealt with and removed. The sad news is there's probably some in here that are not the new, new batch. There's some in here that have never accepted Jesus as the Passover lamb. Your personal Passover lamb. You know, it's not about the sacrifices. Jesus says, your sacrifices, your holy days, God says, they stink in my nostrils. Us trying to follow the law stinks in God's nostrils. <coughs> What's required is to accept, accept by faith through grace the Passover lamb. <coughs> Have you done that? We all face judgment. We all faced it. We were sinners, spiritually dead. And w- judgment was simply going to be the execution of the condemn- condemnation that we already were under. But Jesus as the Passover lamb. Came to earth and died on a cross, a sinless sacrifice for us. And all we have to do is receive that sacrifice, acknowledge that we are sinners Accept the sacrifice that Christ made on that cross for us. Surrender our lives to him, knowing that he died for my sins, he was raised from the dead, as proof and evidence that the Father said it was sufficient. And surrender your life to him. If you've never done that, it would be a good day to do it. Let's be done. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you give us fresh revelation of just how amazing the gift of Christ is, the sacrifice that he made. Father, I pray you would bring scriptures like we looked at today to life in our mind and in our hearts, that we would have greater understanding and revelation of what you've done, how you have pointed to Christ for thousand years, thousands of years, and yet some people missed it. And, Lord, they still miss it today. Lord, I pray that if anyone here, you would just open their eyes and their hearts to understand and receive the truth of this amazing gift of a Passover lamb, your son Jesus, whose blood was shed for us, whose life was given for us, that we might pass from death to life and have eternal life with you. Pray now, too, Lord, that you would Just go with us this day and this week. Watch over us. Keep us safe. Lord, I pray you would give us a real alertness to all the opportunities that present themselves each day to be your hands and feet, to to share the love of Jesus, to be light in a dark world. We ask all this, God, that you would be blessed and receive all the glory and all the honor, and we ask it in your Son's name. Amen.